All right, good morning, Harmony. We are in the midst of our series called Raising the Bar. And so if you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles, we are in Genesis chapter 41. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 41. The reason we've called this series Raising the Bar is that my challenge to you has been, how can we as Christians look at our own lives and really ask, are we giving it everything we have and everything we are? I think a lot of us as Christians, and not just people here in this church, but when you talk about American Christians, period, we have settled for a Christianity that is mediocre. We have settled for just doing enough. We haven't strived to experience everything that God has planned for us. And I think a lot of times when we do this, part of the justification is, is we look at our own lives and we see how sin has impacted us. We see our own flaws. We see our own weaknesses and we go, you know what, this is just who I am. And you know what, and God forgives me for those things. God has grace to cover over my weaknesses. God has grace to see past my sins. And all of that is utterly true. It's the beauty of God. Is that you can be an unbelievable mess up, and I think if we were all honest, we would all realize we are all mess ups. And God still loves you. God still cleanses you. And God can still pick you up and use you to do amazing and awesome things. In fact, often throughout Scripture, it's amazing the broken people that God picks up and then does amazing things with. People that nobody else would have ever used. People that the world would have pushed aside and said are worthless, and God picks them up and teaches them they can be something completely and utterly different. But brothers and sisters, what I want us to challenge ourselves to think is have we positioned ourselves that way? Just because a character flaw exists and just because God forgives doesn't mean that we should turn our Christianity into showing up at a church on Sundays, sitting in a room for an hour and a half, and then go, boop, done for the week. Clock out. This isn't being the church. Being the church is everything that we do all day, every day. What this is supposed to be is our moment to recharge. Why? Because all week long we've been behind enemy lines. All week long we've been fighting against darkness and against sin and against a culture that does not love God, that does not embrace holiness, that struggles with all the things we're chasing. And we come back here, not to work, but to rest, to recharge. Unfortunately for a lot of us, this is the most Christian thing we do all week. This is the extent of our Christianity. I always used to hate when I was a, a youth pastor. Uh, every summer we would go on the youth retreat. And I knew it was just like a little thing, but if you know me, little things bug me. <laughs> and so I was always like, what are these kids retreating from? A retreat is a tactical thing you do because you've been on the front lines fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. And now you're weak, you're tired, you're stressed. And so you retreat to recharge, regroup, and recover. I'm like, what war have they been fighting? <laughs> what, I don't see any of my youth group on the front lines. They need a break from sitting on the couch playing video games. 
And I know the point was, hey, get them into a Christian environment, focus them to worship, get them to maybe see that there's other things they should be pursuing in life, but that's not really a retreat. And so I think a lot of us, we've got to look at ourselves and go, am I just doing Christianity the way I have been taught, or am I really, truly pursuing God in the way that the Bible describes? Am I going at him with everything he has? Because here's the new challenge to you. See, a lot of us, we look at the Bible and we see these characters of faith that God uses as heroes, and we go, well, see, they're flawed just like me. And I go, exactly. That means you could be Moses. That means you could be Abraham. That means you could be used by God to do things like David. See, the heroes of the faith probably didn't know they were heroes of the faith in the moment. And so are we laying ourselves in God's hands saying, use me, Father. Use me to my fullest. That's my hope. And when we look at the story of Joseph, which is found in the late 30s and early 40s of the book of Genesis, we see somebody whose life is a roller coaster. There's many ups and downs, all coming from circumstances that in many cases are completely and utterly beyond his control. But what we see in him is he does not use these circumstances as an excuse to give up or to stop fighting or to stop trying. No, what he does is he just keeps getting closer and closer to God. The world around him can change. The world around him can give him good or give him bad. But none of that stops where he's going, which is to the footsteps of God. And that's my desire for us. There's no health, wealth, and prosperity gospel here. There is no promise that if you read your Bible, if you tithe to your church, if you serve, that everything is going to go smoothly for you. In fact, I would almost guarantee you if you're doing it right, it won't go smoothly. Go read the New Testament and look at the things that Jesus says to the disciples following him. He tells them that they'll have no home. He tells them that those who love them will find the loved ones in their lives turning against them. He says, well, the fish and the birds have homes. You will not. He warns them that the path of the world is wide, but following him is narrow. But he says it's worth it. It's worth it. And so our prayer as Christians is not that we receive worldly blessings, but that we receive spiritual blessings. That we have a peace in our heart because we know we're God, we are where God wants us. That we have a passion in our lives because we know that as feeble as we may be, every single day we're helping build the kingdom. Those are the things we're seeking to have in our lives. And so if you look with Genesis 41 with me, we're at an interesting place. In Genesis chapter 41, let me catch you up while you're flipping there. We see Joseph at kind of another low point. And just to remind you of where this man has been, he started out as the favorite son of a rich, wealthy, and powerful man. But because of the favoritism his father put upon him, it created a wedge between him and his brothers. A wedge so great that it came to hate him and despise him. To the point that they took their own brother and sold him to slave traders so that they wouldn't have to deal with him anymore. And so Joseph goes from being a rich, powerful heir 
to being a slave in a foreign land. A land that does not know his God, a land that does not have the same morality, the same values, the same ethics, anything the same of where he's been born, raised, and trained. But he doesn't give up. Even though he's a slave, he still honors God. He still prays to God. He still worships God. And what people start to realize is this man is one with his God. And they start to see that his God blesses everything he does. To the point you have people like Potiphar that don't even necessarily believe in Yahweh. That don't worship Yahweh. That don't serve Yahweh going, everything this guy touches is God blesses. And so Joseph rises up, yes, still a slave, but to the point where he is the second in command in his master's house. And his master's rich. He's a powerful, influential person, and he controls everything in the household. But then he's falsely accused by the master's wife of rape, and he's thrown into jail. And now for the second time in his life, he sees everything he's built with his hands disappeared, not because of his actions, but because of those of others. But again, what does he do? Does he give up? Does he curse God? Does he complain about how unfair it is? No, he just keeps doing what he always does. He worships, worships God, he praises God, and he serves God. And slowly what happens? The warden of the jail starts seeing him and goes, you know what? Everything this guy touches his God blesses. And so even though now he's a prisoner, not just a slave, a prisoner, he rises up to the point where he's basically second in command in the prison. And where we left him last week is there was a glimmer of hope. Two very prominent prisoners were thrown temporarily in jail. Joseph helps them and asks them, when you're free, remember me. When you're free, please just remember how I helped you. Because I shouldn't be here. And where we pick up in Genesis 41 is what happens next. I want you to pay attention to this first sentence because it's one of those sentences where there's a few words that you could just read over in a half a second and just drive right by. But there's a ton of weight in them. It says, now it happened at the end of two full years that Pharaoh had a dream, and behold, he was standing by the Nile. Before I read the rest of the dream, do you catch that? Right, this moment occurs for Joseph, a moment where he thinks maybe, just maybe, there's a way out. And then what happens? Two years pass. I share that with you, and I want you to focus on that, because brothers and sisters, we've talked about this before, but God's timing is not our timing. Amen. There are many times in my life where the things God wants to do, I wish he didn't want to do them right now. I wish he wanted to do them later, or earlier, or at a different time, or maybe not at all. But the faith we have in God is not just that God loves us and God acts for us, but that God's timing has a reason and purpose behind it even if we don't understand it. I doubt that while Joseph sat in that prison for two years that he was completely happy about the fact that he'd been forgotten. And I'm doubting that Joseph thought those two years were best served by him being in prison. 
But the important thing for us to see is just because he couldn't see it, it doesn't mean God wasn't acting. It doesn't mean that God wasn't moving pieces into the right place. And it doesn't mean that there wasn't a plan that was going to bring great blessing, not just to Joseph, but to many in his world. So go to Pharaoh's dream. It says, He was standing by the Nile, and lo, from the Nile there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed in the marsh grass. Then behold, seven other cows came up after them from the Nile, ugly and gaunt. And they stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. The ugly and gaunt cows ate up the seven sleek and fat cows, and then Pharaoh awoke. He fell asleep and dreamed a second dream, and behold, seven ears of grain came up on a single stalk, plump and good. And then behold, seven ears swallowed up. I'm sorry, then seven ears, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up with them. Then the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump ones, and Pharaoh awoke. And behold, he realized it was a dream. Now in the morning his spirit was troubled, and so he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men, and Pharaoh told them his dreams. But there was no one who could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I would make mention today of my own offenses. Pharaoh was furious with his servants, and he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, both me and the chief baker, and we had a dream on the same night. He and I, each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a Hebrew youth who was there with us, a servant of the captain of the bodyguard, and we related to them, or them to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each one he interpreted according to our own. And just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. And he restored me to my office, but the other was hanged. So here's what happens. Pharaoh has this crazy dream, and it won't go away. He has two versions of it. Two versions of something really beautiful and good and full being present, but then something that it's, it's mere image but ugly and perverted and dark, and the darkness consumes the good. And he has this multiple times, and he can't let it go. It gnaws at him. And back then, especially in a culture that was far more spiritual than our own, we have lied to ourselves and said that you can understand everything in this world by science, which is not true. Science leaves huge blind spots. These people didn't ignore things like that. He seeks an interpretation. He calls his counselors. He calls his magicians. He calls his priests. He calls anybody and everybody he can think of. But nobody can tell him something about this dream that makes sense, that resonates. But it's in the midst of this that his cupbearer goes, oh, man, I'm reminded of this, of my own failings. Pharaoh, do you remember two years ago you threw me in jail? got mad at me? Well, while I was there, I had a dream. And that dream gnawed at me. And I couldn't let it go. And I talked to this young Hebrew guy about it, and he was able, through his God, to tell me what it meant. In fact, there was another guy there with me, if you remember, your baker. And he too had a dream. And the Hebrew, he also interpreted his dream. And both of them turned out exactly like he said. I was supposed to tell you about that, but I didn't. Maybe, just maybe, we should call that guy now. Now, brothers and sisters, what's hard for us in moments like this is realizing that something so significant in our lives can hang 
in the balance because of the actions of an individual. But that's life. It's funny to me because so many of us, probably every one of us in this room, is at some point or another complained about life not being fair. You ever said that? It's just not fair. What's hilarious is, is I don't know why we ever think it should be fair. Like, what in your life has ever taught you that you should expect it to be fair? Because really nothing's fair. And in fact, often what you'll find, and I would challenge you to think of it sometimes this way, sometimes that unfairness is really good for you. I am perfectly unfair, I'm perfectly fine that God doesn't treat me fairly. Because if God were to treat me fairly, I should burn in hell for my entire life. Because I'm a sinful person. I'm a selfish person. And even though I don't like to think of myself as a bad or dark person, the reality is, is in me is a desire to be my own God, to rule my own life, to make my own path, to achieve my own dreams. And if it were not for the unbelievable love of Jesus, if it were not for his sacrifice that he made on that cross for me, if it were not for me realizing that I had this sin in my life and that he was willing to wash that clean, that he was willing to love me even when I was his enemy, I'd probably still be chasing those stupid pathways. But thanks to that love, thanks to that grace, he's pulled me out of that. And so, brothers and sisters, what we realize with Christ is, yes, there will be many things in your life that are completely unfair. But through him, we get the greatest blessing ever, and it's not fair. That God should ever look at me or you and treat us like he would treat Jesus is crazy. Jesus is perfect. He's perfect. But what Scripture teaches us is that because we are the children of God, because we belong to Christ, Christ has covered us with his righteousness. Which means the moment I become a believer, the moment I give everything I have and everything I am to Jesus, from that point forward, when God looks at me, he doesn't see sinful, broken Luke. He sees his son. How awesome is that? How amazing. And see, brothers and sisters, what I want you to start seeing as we look at this piece is for more than a decade of his life, Joseph probably woke up each day going, how would I get here? Like, how, how did I end up in Egypt as a prisoner slave? How did that happen? And I bet you there were many days he thought about all the things he could have done different. There was probably many days where he was wondering, how, God, how could me in this pagan land that doesn't even believe in you, how could me being here in jail be the best thing for your kingdom? But here... After a decade of pieces moving, we finally see why. Right now, we're about to see all these pieces that God has been moving for over a decade, not just in one person's life, but in hundreds of people's lives, in the environment of the world around these people, 
all these pieces are going to come together perfectly. Absolutely perfectly. And what I want you to see is that doesn't just happen for Joseph. That happens for you. That happens for all of us. Every single moment you're alive, God is working for you. Every moment that you have a breath in your lungs, it means you have a purpose here on this earth. There's something that God is doing through you. We've got to cherish that, and we've got to hold on to it. And even in those moments where it's so dark that we can barely see in front of ourselves, we know He's moving. And that's why he gives us stories like this. To remind us there will be days you'll feel like him. You'll feel like Joseph. Going, God, I don't know how I got here, and I don't know how this could be for your good. But I know you. And I know you love me. And I know you're moving for me. So let's look what happens. In verse 14, it says, Then Pharaoh sent and called for Joseph, and they hurriedly brought him out of the dungeon. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but no one can interpret it. I've heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I love this. Listen to this. This is the character of this person. Joseph then answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me, God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. You want to know why everybody always knew it was God working through this man? It's because of actions like that. And I'll be real, that was a risky answer. This is Pharaoh. This man kills people all the time. Being in his presence could be a huge blessing or could end your existence. And Pharaoh goes, I hear you can do this. And Joseph goes, no, I can't. God can. It's a bold man. So Pharaoh spoke to Joseph. In my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile, and behold, seven cows, fat and sleek, came out of the Nile, and they grazed in the marsh. And lo, seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and gaunt, such as I had never seen for ugliness in all the land of Egypt. And the lean and ugly cows ate up the first seven fat cows. Yet when they had devoured them, it could not be detected that they had devoured them, for they were just as ugly as before. And then I awoke. I saw also in my dream, and behold, seven ears, full and good, came up on a single stalk. And lo, seven ears, withered, thin, and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up after them. And the thin ears swallowed the seven good ears. And then I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Now Joseph said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's dreams are one and the same. God has told the Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are the same seven years. The dreams are one and the same. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven thin ears scorched by the east wind will also be seven years of famine. It is as I've spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt, and after them seven years of famine will come, and all that abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. 
and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means the matter is determined by God, and God will quickly bring it about. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which will occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land will not perish during the famine. And now the proposals seem good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. So do you get what happens here? Joseph interprets the dream. And the key part to this is that everything that he says is about God's glory, not his own. And as just a little side note here, I ask you, do you do that in your own lives? Every single one of us has something we're good at. Every single one of us has a talent and ability. And one of the questions of a servant of God is, is do you use that talent to glorify yourself or do you use that talent to glorify someone else? Do you use that to glorify God? Joseph could have just as easily walked into that room and go, I know what your dream is and I've got a plan. But an important thing in his life was that glory was given to his father. And so he goes out of his way to make sure that happens. Brothers and sisters, I bet you all week long you do things that reflect the love, kindness, and goodness of God. My question, though, is do you declare it? Right When you stop and you give a meal to the homeless man on the corner, do you let him know you do that because of the love of Jesus? When you see somebody crying and sad and broken and you stop just to have a conversation with them, do you let them know that you're doing that? Because that's what God's done for you. Do you help people open their eyes, not just to your action, but the motive behind that action? Because often it's in those moments where you explain why you're doing what you're doing that you can open people's hearts to the love of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of people who do good things, but we all do them for different reasons. The hallmark of a Christian should be is we continually do them not for ourselves, we do them for God. I always laugh when you see celebrities do great things because you almost always absolutely know about them. Why? Because normally they Instagram the whole thing. Because <laughs> normally there was a TV crew that was right there recording all these moments because the real reason they were doing it was to make sure you saw, look at me, I'm doing good. I don't want you thinking about my stint in rehab last week. I want you thinking about me giving Christmas presents to these kids. There's an ulterior motive. And I'm not saying that's the case for 100% of our celebrities, but it sure seems to be the case for a lot of them. Why are you doing the good thing? Are you declaring that you're loving because you were loved by God? That's what people really need to hear. 
because your act of kindness will not change their life. It may give them a slight reprieve from the pain they're feeling in that moment, but that's it. But the love of Jesus, that can solve their pain. And not just for that moment, but for eternity. That's what we've got to think about. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Only in the throne I will be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him with garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. He had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, bow the knee. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. That signet ring is huge. It's huge because back then the signet ring was not just a ring, but upon it was a crest, a seal. And whenever the king, the pharaoh, made a decree to show that it was official, he would take that signet ring, he would dip it in wax, and he would stamp it upon the decree. He was the only one who had that. And so to be honest, that ring didn't just carry some authority, it literally carried the authority of the pharaoh. Because whoever had that, whoever could make that stamp, that was the word of Pharaoh. And to the Egyptians, that was the word of God. And he gives that to Joseph. Brothers and sisters, do you think that morning Joseph thought that was going to happen? I mean, of all the turns his life has taken, I doubt he woke up in prison as a slave two years after being forgotten and went, Today, I will suddenly become the second most powerful person in the entire world. No, I doubt that. But you know what? He also didn't think the day his brother sold him that day was going to be that way. And he also didn't think the day that he was accused of rape and thrown into jail was going to be that day. The key is we never know what day is going to be what. But what we know is God is always working. What we see through Joseph's life is that, yes, there was a long period of trial and tribulation. But thank God Joseph ended up here. What will happen in the chapters after is this famine will strike exactly as God has foretold. And not only will it hit Egypt, but it will hit the nations surrounding to the point that Joseph's family back in Israel will be impacted by the famine. The actions of Joseph won't only save Egypt. They will save the surrounding nations. They will save the descendants of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the thing that you see as you step back more and more is in isolation, when you only have a little sliver, sometimes life looks confusing. Sometimes it looks chaotic. Sometimes it makes no sense. You'll see something happen and go, how could this be good? 
But it's amazing the more you step back and the more you see, you start to realize that God's been driving the whole time. And sometimes God has to take you through hard places. Sometimes he's got to send you through one of those valleys to get you to the hill. And sometimes that'll be longer than you would desire. See, I actually think we're okay with valleys if they last for like a day. Maybe a month. It's when they start getting like a year or two years or three years or a decade that we start going, okay, hold on. But that's where faith comes in. There's two verses I want you to think about. The first verse is in Psalm 37.5. It says, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. The point of this is that trust means you got to jump even if you don't know exactly where you're jumping to. It's funny, my kids, as they get older, they get less trusting. So it's funny because when they were little kids, I could just tell them get in the car and they'd get their shoes on and get in the car. Now I tell them, let's go for a ride. And they're all like, why? Where are we going? And it's funny because the first couple of times they do it, it's so new to you, you explain to them. And then finally you reach a point where you're like, just get in the car. We will go wherever daddy wants to go. And it's funny because Tyler's now at the point where he's heard my, my speeches enough that he now shares them with Jake. So the other day, I get home from work, and I grab a candy bar from the Halloween bowl and eat it. And Jake goes, why is Daddy eating candy? You're supposed to wait till after dinner. And Ty goes, when you're a grown-up, you can do whatever you want. <laughs> Like, I guess that's right. <laughs> the future is going to be very disappointing for you, son. <laughs> but I've, I've gotten to a point with them where I don't try to give answers anymore because I just need them to get in the car because Dad said. Dad loves you. Dad cares about you. Dad does good things with you. Just get in the car. It'll all work out. And to be honest, sometimes that's exactly how we need to be with our Father. Because there's going to be hundreds of things in your life where he's going to bring them to your feet and you're going to go, I got some questions. And he's going to be like, just get in the car. You may not understand, but you know me. You know I love you. You know I've always done you right. You know I've always got a plan. So just follow. And that's where this comes in. I don't trust in the circumstances. I don't trust in the environment. I trust in Him. I trust in Him. And this is where, brothers and sisters, you got to get real. Some people have come to Christianity because when they look in the pages of the Bible, they see wisdom. And so as they've seen that wisdom and applied that wisdom to their life, they've seen success. And so to be honest, what they trust is they trust the wisdom. They don't trust the one who gave it. And the problem for people like that 
is that the moment that the Father comes to you and asks you to do something that doesn't make sense, well, then you go, well, wait a minute. No, not doing that. Your love for God needs to be love for Him, not for what He has. We don't love God because of his power. We don't love God because he can give me things. We don't love God because he's wise. We don't love God for any of these things. We love God because we love God. I don't want his stuff. I want him. My trust is not tied to the blessings he's given me. The trust is tied to his character. I trust him. I go where he is. why I always tell you guys about the 23rd Psalm. Everybody follows the shepherd into the green grass and into the quiet waters. Very few follow him out of that into the valley of the shadow of death. But that's what he asked for. He wants a people that love him so much and trust him so much that even if we're in that beautiful pasture with green grass and beautiful water and everything we could want that when he says it's time to go and we see where he's heading and we have questions we still follow why because I go where he goes that's the trust the promise he makes is this for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to give a caveat on this first because this is a verse people love. This is always on t-shirts and greeting cards and coffee mugs and people love this verse. But people forget when God gave this verse, he gave it to a people who were about to go through a very long time of trouble. He gave it to a people who were about to go through a period of hurt and pain and exile. And it wasn't going to last a week. It was going to last generations. But he still wanted them to believe in this. He still wanted them to believe that even though it will be dark and sometimes for a long time, I'm still there. I'm still working. And I love you. And I have a plan. Trust me. Trust me. It's why we always point back to this cross. Because on the day that that cross became famous, the day that Jesus of Nazareth was nailed to that cross, there wasn't a person in the world who loved God that saw that day and went, today's a great day. Everybody who loved God that day thought it was over. I thought, here he is, the Messiah, the one, and he's dead. In fact, it's so dark, the world itself mourns. The sun is blotted out. The earth shakes in pain for what's happening, and you swear that it's over. The good days are gone. But three days later, we realized that wasn't the case. Three days later, we realized on what was the darkest moment in history, actually the greatest victory was being won. 
And so here's what I know. I will not understand every day I face. I will not understand every darkness that descends upon my life. I will not be courageous in every valley that he asked me to follow him. But if he can turn that sign of death into a sign of hope and love, then there ain't a single thing that I can lay at his feet that he's scared of. If he can make that day a good day, he can make any day a good day. We trust in him, not the circumstances around us. Let's pray. Dearly Father, we come before you, Lord, and we are humbled to be your children. That we sinners, Lord, who make so many mistakes that we get to call you dad. That we get to talk with you, that we get to love you, that we get to serve with you. What a blessing, Father. Father, I pray that as we've read through this story, Lord, that your word encourages our hearts and our souls. It encourages us to know, Lord, that even when all seems chaotic, you are at work. And even when it seems like evil is winning, Lord, you are putting plans in motion for our goodness. Father, we love you, we trust you, and we will follow you wherever you go. In the wonderful and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As Maria comes and, and leads us in a closing song, I'll be up here at the front. Brother James and our deacons will be at the back. And I just invite you, if there's anything on your life that you need to pray about, if there's anything in your life that you just want to know somebody else is thinking about, feel free to come up and pray with us. We're here to try to help you along this journey. And as always, if you don't feel comfortable coming up during service, please seek us out after. We're always here to help you along the way. Maria? Let's all
things. We need our, uh, our shoe boxes back. So when you bring your shoe box, just lay it at the back there. We'll get those uh, mailed out to those kids. Um, we're, again, we're going for 50 this year. I think last year ours, ours went to Honduras. So it'll be interesting to see where they go this year. Also, we got Thanksgiving meal. So we need one more person to do a turkey. See Miss Margaret about that. I think she is now back in the cry room. Um, so don't let her get out. Just run to that door and trap her in there. All right. And then bring a side dish, vegetables, She's not looking desserts. Desserts would be good. Bring a lot of desserts. Um, but we'll have our big meal next week. Also, I remind you, you've been given a spirit by God that is of power, love, and self-discipline. That means you're dangerous. Let me hear it. That's weak. Try it again. There we go. Go out into this world and make disciples that love God, love people, and follow Jesus. Get to it. Have a great week. God bless you.